Okay, if I can encourage you to take your seats if you've not already done so. Uh, before we get into um, the next bit of Ephesians we've been looking at in our series entitled Crafted, uh, just wanted to tell you a bit about uh, what I got up to with a few others from Oasis yesterday. Sometimes it can be really bad at telling these sort of stories because I don't want it ever to seem as though I'm blowing my own trumpet, which this isn't at all. It's rather, I think, part of our story shared together. I think one of the unique things that God has enabled us to do and be as a church, and maybe some of the journey that we've been on as a church, has been to see that actually um, who we are as a church isn't just what happens inside. It's actually mostly about what happens outside of us gathering together. And we recognize that God's desire is to see his rule and reign, uh, which is covered by his love, work through each and every one of us in the unique places that he's placed us. And therefore, we get the privilege of what Jesus kind of reveals in Matthew 5, of living our lives in order that others can taste and see that God is good. And therefore, we get to add God's flavor and God colors wherever we go. And therefore, part of what we, as a church, kind of being able to do is support and encourage others uh, in, in that, in terms of the sector of society they find themselves in. And so yesterday, I had the privilege, as well as uh, some others from within Oasis, uh, to gather with around 40 uh, individuals that are involved in the creative industry. And so they're artists, musicians, writers, uh, and designers. And so this room was completely transformed. And so we had this half, there was a printing workshop. And so we spent kind of the morning uh, doing printing, which exposed how not creative I am. Um, And then the rest of it was then a a shared sense of uh, doing the creative worship thing. So Colin, Rod, and Andrew Gordon uh, kind of I shared a moment with everyone of kind of modeling and then drawing everyone into a creative worship encounter that we all get to do this coming Friday evening, which was amazing. And then I got the privilege of just uh, spending some time just encouraging people in respect to what God's wanting to do in and through them. And I wanted to share it because it's not my story, it's our story, because it's who we are as a church and it's how we're influencing and changing believers throughout the nation, which I count just an unbelievable privilege. And uh, part of what we're doing there in terms of the arts community, which is in partnership with Church Central, we're also seeking to do uh, next year, it'll be at the end of February, in respect to healthcare and education. And so we're going to be doing a day again that's going to be gathering different individuals who are involved in those professions, getting people who are actually in the profession doing the stuff, not someone like me who isn't, who doesn't really know what he's talking about, in order that we can provide an environment that does people good to encourage them to keep seeking to reveal God's kingdom where they're uniquely placed. Uh, As I said to the guys yesterday, I think part of what we're called to be, I know what I'm called to be as an individual is a cheerleader. And I've got no problem with that. I don't look as pretty as they normally do. But um, I think it's such a privilege to stand alongside others and say, do you know what? There is so much capability and gifting that you have. And let's see that come into play. So that's a bit about what uh, I, we were involved in yesterday, which is a total privilege. Uh, In terms of today, then, we're going to look at Crafted, the Ephesians series. However, to my horror... I discovered some of the books, resources that we'd created for this series, which is a a 39-part breakdown of the whole of the book of Ephesians as a devotional guide. And I found like six copies in my room, and I thought that's the most pointless place for them ever to be, because I've read it, I've got one copy, I don't need another six. And so this morning, four people took them who didn't have them. These are giveaways. There's no sense of if you take one, we're ever going to chase you for it. It's just generally to give you good, do you good. So if you've not had one, like literally two down. At this point, we're all going to be very British and think, well, oh, I prefer everyone else. No, if you want it, you're going to have to put your hand up quick and say, yeah, I want that. And so if you want this, put your hand up now and we'll make sure these go to you. There's one. 
I've got one gone. Becky, could you take it up there? Maybe there is anyone else? There we go. You see, I knew. There's another one. So there's one there. And one. You keep your hand up. Small person will definitely get to you. Thank you, Rebecca. <laughs> Small person who happens to be my lovely daughter. Well, that's good, isn't it? Um, I, I always try not to embarrass them, but obviously just did. Apologies. Um, I can do loads of other stories if you want, guys, to embarrass you. No, Sam's shaking his head. Um, So then let's get into this series, which we've entitled Crafted today. Having got to the dizzying heights last week with Rich Bo Pitt, who did such an exceptional job of driving us through nine verses in one go, which has been an epic kind of thing to happen within this series, I'm suddenly slamming on the brakes because I just want us to look at one verse today. Uh, Some of you are going to think, what is it with you? Well, the reason why I want to look at one verse is because what we're going to discover about this verse, and I would go out of the way to put it this way, the more and more I've spent time in the letter of Ephesians, I've come to realize that everything flows into this verse previous to it, and everything flows out of it from it. And therefore, if you like, I believe that this verse we're going to look at, which is Ephesians 2 verse 10, is kind of the, the link pin of everything, everything that Paul's building to in terms of his argument of who we are, and therefore, how we should then live. And everything that's going to flow out from this point is about how we're to live within the world. And so it's just an amazing privilege to kind of get to speak on this verse. The other thing I'd say is I believe this verse, and I'm hoping by the end of this morning that I may have done some justice to it. But more than that, I'm hoping God will just come and reveal it to us because it's way better when he does that. Is that it will transform how we see ourselves and how we operate within the worlds that we're placed And maybe you've come this morning and you say, well, I'm not actually a follower of Jesus. I think for you, I'm hoping it will still transform you. And so that's my end goal. By quarter past one, when we all go and do whatever we're going to do, my deep desire is that this one verse will have transformed us. So let's see if it does. Let's read it. Ephesians 2 verse 10. Paul writes this. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul wants us to understand who we are and why we're here. He does it just really simply in this verse. And the danger is, because we read the first bit, we read the for we, There's a danger that we hear that and think, oh yeah, it's about all of us, isn't it? We're all God's handiwork. That is true. We are all God's handiwork. Yet, in the danger of the corporate nature of it, we can tend to push it off us. And if we're not careful, we can stop ourselves saying, I am God's handiwork. That's the truth. I am. I, Adrian Hurst, am God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for me to do. And what is true for me is true for you. And so what we're going to do is just for a moment, if you would like to help me in this, because it won't work if you don't do this. It's a slightly cheesy thing, something we never do in Oasis normally, uh, because we want everyone to feel really welcome and not feel like they've suddenly been thrown into uh, an exposing moment of chaos. But hey, hang in there. 
we, do, we are okay, I promise. But what I'd like us to do is to turn to someone next to us, or maybe it's turn to a couple of people. If you're not near someone, you need to find someone and gather them in. And I want us to use this as a moment to introduce ourselves to that other person. And when we introduce ourselves, normally we say, I'm so-and-so and this is what I do, or I'm so-and-so, this is what my life's like. I want us this time to say, I'm blank, so I'm Adrian. And then I want us to fill in, I am God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in, for me in advance to do. And so I want us to introduce ourselves to each other like that. Now at this point, some of you are going to be in the room saying, but I'm not a follower of Jesus. I can't say that. Well, for you I'd say one of two things. The easy option is this one. If you've come with someone and they are a believer, just say, well, you are this, aren't you? You can say, you are God's handiwork. That's what you believe, isn't it? That's the easy option. Hard option is this one. I want you to say, I am discovering that I am God's handiwork. Because if you're in this room, I'm kind of assuming that you've not been dragged here. And therefore, if you're an exploration of discovering who God is, you're obviously wanting to know something about him. And therefore, what you're doing is positively saying over yourself, this isn't the power of positive thinking, but it's rather saying a reality, I'm here to discover something. And what I'm putting to you is maybe you could discover this this morning. So is that all right? That's enough of me. Can we turn to each other and say it? I'm giving you permission to talk. Okay, we all done that? No, not done? Carry on for a little bit? Some of you could have died through doing that. But by the end of this morning, I want it to be something we're able to serve ourselves every morning that we could look in the mirror and say this. Because I promise you, it transforms everything about what we then do and are. What I want us to do now is, before we start to unpack this verse to understand the fullness of what we're proclaiming about ourselves, is actually now to pray for one another. And I want us to pray and say, God, would you cause what we've just spoken, what I've just spoken, to really start to take root this morning? So... Should we pray for each other? Therefore means what you do now is you turn to that person you've just spoken to and you now, you can put your hand on them, you can close your eyes, you can keep your eyes open and just talk to God towards them. Is that right? Please do that.
OK. What I want us to do now then is to unpack this verse, to allow us to allow the truth, the wonder of what Paul is writing, the revealed truth that's to bring life to us, to start to transform our hearts. For some of us, we've already started that process, even just starting to speak that out, started to make us think, man, do I really believe this? Is this really true for me? As we've started to pray it in, we're starting to say, actually, no, this is more how I wanted to be defined. I'm not defined by what others say of me. I'm defined by who God says I am. For others of us, it's that invitation of realizing that when we're talking about relationship with God and a discovery of who God is, it isn't about rules and regulations. It's about a relationship that is to change and define everything of who we are. And so what we start off in examining this verse is that with the fact that we are God's handiwork. That in it, it can sound at the level of arrogance, can't it? And arrogance even, not arrogance. Arrogance that... If I'm one, which probably the more you get to know me could believe that I do do this, who can stand in front of the mirror in the morning and declare to the image that I see, Adrian, I am God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. But the thing is, for those of us who know this to be true, this isn't a statement of arrogance. It's rather a statement that undoes us. That continuously as we understand it, it both fills us with this sense of joy and a sense of, I can't believe this is the reality of my life. Like, I said this in the first meeting, but the reality is this. That the reason why I sit on the front row in any gathering when we're worshipping isn't because I lead the church. It's basically for two reasons. One is because there's way more leg room than anywhere else in this room. That's the primary reason. Secondary reason is this. No one distracts me. Because I'm not worried about what anyone else thinks. Because I can't see anyone else apart from the band. And they seem to be pretty preoccupied in what they're doing. And so what it does is it allows me a moment to just be undone again by the wonder of who God is. And so I find myself, as we're singing this, these songs of drawing in of just how worthy God is, it causes me to remember again of how wonderful it is to be loved by him. It just overwhelms me again. Because when Paul describes us as God's handiwork. He's wanting us to be overwhelmed. He's not wanting us to think, oh, that's nice. That's really nice, that is. God's handiwork. No, no, he's wanting us to be overwhelmed by this. See, this word that's used in the Greek of handiwork is a word that Paul uses elsewhere, only one other place, in Romans 1, where he talks about how God created everything. And this word that he's using as handiwork is a word for creation or creativity, the ability to create out of nothing. And what Paul's doing is, is kind of saying that this is the one who's able to create. But he's more than that, wanting to point us back to what God did when he created in Genesis 1. So you find in Genesis 1, there's this great song. Whether you see it as literal or a, an analogy of what happened, that actually it's this song that God sings over the whole of creation as he creates it all, calling into being light. And then there is plants and trees and animals and then humanity and breathing life into them in order they bear his image. And over each part of the song, there's these kind of moments of him uh, proclaiming Father, Son, and Spirit what they see and know through what they've created. 
And what they say is, it's good. At the end, they say, it's very good. And what Paul's wanting to bring in mind is that this isn't a creator who's just getting some substance to make something. It's a creator who declares over what he's created as his handiwork, that it's good. It's very good. He delights in us. That when Paul writes and says, we're God's handiwork, he wants us to understand that we aren't just objects. We're those that God, Father, Son, and Spirit delights in. More than that, that he delights in through his way of creating us. So he says that that we've been created in Christ Jesus. There were those that are created in Christ Jesus, that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, God has made us new. Now, I'm not going to unpack all of that, what that looks like, because if you want to know that, listen to Rich Bo Pitt's talk last week, because that kind of unpacked that bit. Rather, I think there's something else for us to get hold of today when we look in it with the lens of we are God's handiwork. And that is because we are created in Christ, we understand something of why God has created us as his handiwork. Because what it does is it reminds us that we aren't created by God as his handiwork out of a sense of duty. Out of an obsession to just make stuff. And to, or a desire to feel lonely and need a void to be filled. But rather, what we find through Jesus is that the Father sent the Son out of love to rescue us. That the Father has created us as his handiwork through Christ out of love, not duty, not out of a, a need, but out of an overwhelming sense of the Godhead who'd always been Father, Son, and Spirit in love. A loving community. And everything has flowed out of that love. Paul wants us to understand that actually who you are as God's handiwork are those that God himself delights in. Those who God himself loves. And how we know that is how he's created us. Is out of that love. Is through that love. Which is why it's through and in Jesus. It's nothing that we did. It's everything that he did. But you see... It's not only here that we have to kind of leave it. It isn't just that he's saying that we're God's handiwork and the method of that is through Jesus. It isn't just a a moment of of us being reminded that God delights in us. Surely that's enough. Or that God loves us more than anything we could ever imagine. But it's also Paul kind of combining and saying, actually, what does it mean to be his handiwork? It was everything that's preceded this point. Everything that Paul's put in chapter 1. Everything that he's put up to verse 9. I said, oh, this is all that it means to be God's handiwork. It's all about relationship. It's all about the fact that we've been made, not as an object to sit on a shelf, that God looks at and says, oh, isn't that amazing? But rather that these individuals and company of people who God then calls in to relate, not out the outside looking in to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, but actually within the Trinity that's always existed in love. That we get caught up as his handiwork, not as kind of just those who say, whoa, me, but actually those that are intimately in now. This relationship of love. If you were around last year, you would have seen me kind of do this illustration of how the Father, Son, and Spirit... Actually, we're going to quickly do it, because some of you weren't around last year, and I feel like we should do this. So 
Family, I'm going to embarrass you. This is going to be helpful. So uh, Lucy's shaking her head. No, I can't do that. You three, you can embarrass you. Three guys, that'll do. Um, so Ben, Josh, Rod, come forward quickly. This is just going to help us quick. Um, <laughs> so what we've got, this is what it looks like. Because sometimes we can think, oh, yeah, we're in relationship with God. So what? Right, join hands, face inside. <laughs> join hands, that means you are like that. So what it can be like is this, that we can look and say that we are God's handiwork. God has created us out of love. And therefore, as his handiwork, don't get embarrassed about holding hands. It's okay. Um, is that there's this intimate relationship here of love between the Father, the Spirit, and the Son that is interplaying all the time. The Spirit loves the Father, the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, the Father loves the Spirit, the Spirit loves the Father, the Father loves the Son. That it keep going on. And that if you like, we are his handiwork and there is a danger sometimes that we can then think how we relate to God is looking in thinking, wow, isn't that amazing? Or that we then think, oh no, I'm inside it. This is even more amazing. Look at how amazing this is that I get to see this love. Yet the truth is this, that we now get to be part of the relationship that has always existed eternally. Thank you. And that's why it's so exciting. That's what it means to be God's handiwork. That we're in now this eternal relationship between the Father, Son, and Spirit that has always existed, always will exist, and we're now in it. Not as outsiders looking in, not as in the side thing, them gazing on thinking, look at our handiwork, but rather those that are now intimately in the relationship, first one relationship. The next thing in terms of God's handiwork, take breath, Adrian, don't get too excited, is the thing that blows my mind is that God in his handiwork is the best restorer that ever existed. See, there can come moments with antiques. It might be cars, it might be furniture, it might be a house. And you can look at it and think it's kind of had its day. It's like this, it's flaking paint, it's rusting. And in, in the day and age we live in, there's two ways forward at that point. You either replace it and you say, right, let's get something new then, or you restore it. And you reveal the wonder and the beauty that that object has. And God is the best restorer ever. You see, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we become part of God's handiwork in relationship with him. But not only that, God then makes sense of our life. He doesn't just say, right, that's it. Let's cut off all of your personality, everything that has gone previous to this point. That's all done. Let's forget it. Let's now have a new Adrian Hurst. It isn't that when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I became a new version of Adrian Hurst. That suddenly I didn't exist anymore. I became slightly more handsome. Dare you believe that? Slightly more able to articulate myself. All of these things. Isn't that? Is that God used the raw material of who I was to become who, who he'd always destined me to be. The God restores the good, the bad, and the ugly in order that he can reveal his beauty. The good of what my life is, it isn't that we're not good. As those who aren't following Jesus, there is good things about me. There's good things about how I'm wired, the gifts I have, the places I am. But God uses as his handiwork and says, actually, now I'm going to make that even better. The uniqueness of who you are. You understand how I created you, how I want you to be. That he uses the bad, the, the stuff that I've done that isn't pretty, that to be honest, if we were to watch a film of all the decisions, all the actions I've taken that fall short of who God is, I wouldn't be in this nation. 
I, I would never look at you in the face again. And yet God says, I don't want you to walk around ashamed of that. I don't even want you to walk around thinking, right, I can't ever speak of it. I'm actually going to restore it in order that I can reveal my beauty through it. But it's not only the stuff we've done, it's also the ugly. It's also the stuff that's been done to us. The stuff that it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense why that had to happen. And God wants to restore us, not only to heal us, to understand that we don't have to walk around with the wounds of what others have done to us. It's also that he wants to parade us to be those that have had the wounds healed that become scars to reveal his beauty. In order that he can use us to show how much he's able to do. That God's handiwork isn't just simply to leave us where we were. It isn't just to ignore what we were and to take us somewhere different. It's actually to restore everything about us. In order that we can look and make sense of our life. And that's a process. That isn't that on the day you believe in Jesus, suddenly you're the restored article. The truth is there. You are restored. But you're also being restored. Therefore, as you understand more and more of who God is and what he wants to do in and through our lives, it allows us to understand that he's come in order that we would be restored in every part so that we can look and say, actually, what was meant for harm, God has turned for good. And I've lived through things myself. I've lived through things that are way, way worse through others. And I've seen how God the most amazing, compassionate, caring restorer is able to take things that are ugly and restore them to such beauty. And maybe for some of us today, there's hope for us. Maybe for some of us, it's at this point, we just have to say, oh yeah, I am God's handiwork. Doesn't mean that I ignore the first X years of my life is that I realize that God is big enough to restore even that. But it isn't just that we're left there as God's handiwork. I need to accelerate again. Is that God has a purpose. It isn't just we look pretty on the shelf. Right? We joke about it, but obviously, you know, someone like me, you kind of have to battle with this, that you're not just on the planet to be pretty. Obviously, we all know that I'm not, and I have a great degree of security in who I am, but I can say these things. But the purpose of all that God does in us isn't just so we look pretty on the shelf. It's rather that he places us here for a purpose. And Paul continues this, we're God's handiwork in Christ. Why? To do good works. That's why we're here, to do good works. Now in that, it isn't that we're doing good things in order to show that we're worthy of being God's crafted beings, of being his handiwork. That's not the point here because we're never able to do that. That's the whole point of the need of Jesus. But rather, it's because we're crafted by God. Because we are his handiwork, we're now able to do good things. That God has caused us to do good wherever we are. Now that phrase in terms of good is actually that we're here now, that word good is to benefit others and ourselves. 
It's the word benefit. In other words, we get to now reveal what God is about. God is good. We sing that, don't we? God is good. And in that, yes, it means in intrinsic nature, he is good. There's not something in him that's trying to deceive us. He is without shadow. There is no darkness in him. He is pure goodness. And therefore, because he is pure goodness, he's after our best. Even when it feels like what we know is better. Actually, because his motivation is good, he's always after our best. And then he shares with us and says, oh, now you're part of my handiwork. Now you're in that relationship. Now you're there restored out of your goodness, ugliness, and bad things. The good, the bad, and the ugly restored. I now use you to reveal my goodness. How? Well, we do it because we're those that are no longer looking in on ourselves thinking, what can I gain here? What can I get from everyone else? Because we realize that we've got everything from God. Therefore, we're able to live these liberated lives and say, man, I'm more loved than I can dare to believe. I'm more restored, and in the process of being restored, than I could ever imagine. And then from this place, I'm able to look at others and say, how can I seek to benefit them? And then we get this amazing adventure of then seeking to live lives that seek to benefit others. Which means for me, things like we have the privilege of meeting in this cricket ground. We have the privilege of having offices in this cricket ground. And therefore it means that rather than me thinking, all right, Oasis Church, we're going to small fry here, small fish in a very big pond. Actually, no, what we're here to do is to do good. Therefore, I get the privilege of saying to the Greek ground, how can we benefit you? And so calling them to say, could you help us benefit others? So in the process at the moment, looking at how they can partner with us in the food bank, of both at a carol service in Christmas and potentially next year at big uh, home matches. But in it, what it's also done is it's caused them, as we've said, actually, how can we do good with you? Is them saying, how can we tell this story? So I'm meeting with the commercial director of the cricket ground next Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. in order they can start to gather a story they want to tell through the national press of the church whose home is a stadium. Why? Because we suddenly realize we're not here for ourselves. Now this suddenly seems though it is all about ourselves. No, the whole motivation was we're here to do good. And then the story starts to spill out, starts to get shared. But it's also that God then wants to use our good, bad, and ugly to do good for others, which means that we both get to do things and not do things. You see, sometimes to do good means that we don't do something. It means that we don't speak. It means we don't act. That can sometimes be the best thing we can do. Sometimes it's that we do do things. So I can look at some of my bad and ugly That God has restored, and you've heard me tell this story, but probably the biggest area for me is fear. And I'm able to tell the story of how fear ruled my life and how God has restored me to a place of not being filled and racked with fear in order that I can understand that who I am in God and I can trust him and have faith so that then I can cause others to understand this goodness I've known you too can know. You see, the adventure is that it isn't just that we're made to do good. It's also a perspective as we do it, which is where I want to finish off on. So Paul writes this at the very end of the verse, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. This is like mind-blowing moments. 
That word advance is actually God created before anything was created. That, that's like proper, like, whoa, I can't comprehend that God created before anything that was created good things for you and for me to do in the unique places that we've been placed. Now, in it, it isn't that we're therefore to live condemned, thinking, oh, no, I've not done the good things today. That at the end of the day, we kind of think, oh, man, God's going to have been following me with a clipboard saying, didn't do that one, didn't do that one, didn't do that one. Because if we do that, we've lost sight of the fact we're his handiwork. It isn't that because we do the good things, we're his handiwork. No, it's because he's decided we're his handiwork. We're forever unconditionally loved. Forever those that are restored by him. Therefore, it's out of that. We then get to this adventure that says, God, in his sovereignty, has called us up and called us up. He said, actually, what your life on this planet is going to be about is the adventure of discovering the good things that I've prepared in advance for you to be involved in revealing. Not so you miss them and feel condemned, but rather you wake up every morning thinking, man, what have you got in store for me today, God? Do you know who else used to speak like that? Well, she didn't use the word man. He used the word father. There's one who walked the planet 2,000 such years ago who used to use the phrase this, Father, what are we doing today? Adrian paraphrase, Jesus. And we're invited now, like Jesus, to say, Father, what, what do you want us to do today? What's today going to be about in the adventure you've placed me? See, every single one of us has uniquely been placed somewhere in the worlds that we live in. And that's in order that only us, in that moment, that God has uniquely crafted us. Because he realized how amazing you and I are. I said, because of who we are, the good bits, the bad bits, the ugly bits that I've restored, I now get to use you in this place to reveal my goodness. And the thing is, I couldn't use anyone else. I could only use you because you're the one I fashioned to be there. Is that how we see ourselves? Is that how you see yourself on a Monday morning? I think today, what it's all about is what God has prepared in advance for me to do. That's an adventure. It's an adventure that leads to moments like this. So the other Friday, I took a day off. Didn't do it very well. Kind of worked till 11.30. That's not a day off. That's a stupid day off. So worked till 11.30. Then I think, all right, I've got to go and buy some icing for a cake for my daughter. I know the bakers that I've got to go to. Lucy's been there a few times before. Lucy's my wife. And uh, she said, all you've got to do is go with this list. I need a list because if it's not written down, I won't remember anything. So I go into the bakers. She knows who I am because of Lucy, I say, look, this is what I need. Please can you ensure we get everything on the list? Otherwise, I will be in trouble. So I said, I haven't got a clue what we're talking about here, so you just do the stuff. So I'm thinking, day off, five minutes in, out, then we get on with the rest of the day. 40 minutes later, I'm still there, because after five minutes, all I did is ask this question. It seems as though, it was more a statement, It seems as though you're very busy at the moment. There are lots of cakes in your kitchen. 40 minutes later, we're at the point of this lady having shared that in tears now, how at the end of her life she feels she is. Talks about how her dad had bought her this company. How her dad had died two years ago from a heart attack within the bakery. 
how she had had a suspected heart attack two weeks ago because of the fact she's working seven days a week, can't make ends meet. And she's working all the time and working and working and knows that she can't stop. And she's just said, I feel like I'm at the end of myself. She talks about the three marriages she's had. She said she's on her third and just questioning, is this one going to survive? And at that point, I think, I need to get some money out to pay you for your icing. And so I thought, okay, I'll get some money out. And as I'm getting the money out, why do I do that? Not to say I don't care about you because I knew I needed to stop because I knew this was an advanced moment. So as I'm going two shops down to get the cash out, I'm praying and saying, Father, I thought I was having a day off. What is it you want us to do? And I feel God speak to me and say, right, there's three things that you need to say to this lady. And so I go back and I speak to her and just say, thank you for sharing everything. I didn't deserve anything of what you shared. But I don't know if you know what I do, but I lead a church. And I'm saying that not because of Jesus or anything. I'm just saying to you, I know what it is to really care about something and invest your whole life in it and feel like you can't turn away from it. I know what that feels like. And she's like, yeah, I know what it feels like. I just feel like this is it. It's down to me. And I said, but the thing is, it's not more important than you. I said, you really matter. And the second thing I want to say to you is that you really matter and you deserve to stop and rest. And she goes, yeah, I need to take some time off. And she turns to me and she says, but the thing is, do you think my dad would be proud of me? So I have this privilege in that moment of just saying, well, I know what it is to be a father and I know one who is a very good father. And what I know of fathers is this, is they're always proud of their children. And I think your father is very proud of you. And I think what he'd say to you is don't allow this business to cost you your life. And then I said, the third thing is this. I said, you value your marriage more than your business. Therefore, why don't you invest in that? She said, thank you. That was the end. Sometimes God's preferred things in advance for us to do that are beyond the boundaries of our diary in the 21st century. The invitation is to remember that we are God's handiwork. And God has created the adventure that daily there are things for us to be involved in. They're not always like the baker. Sometimes they're like a power cut down my road where I suddenly find myself helping an elderly guy not burn his house down. Sometimes it's just simply stopping and listening to someone. And listening in that way, as someone posted on Facebook last week, listening isn't waiting to respond to what's been said, but hearing what has been spoken. And I think, that's listening. I need to learn that, because I'm always listening, thinking, oh, this is what I'm going to say next. And, I, listen, and listening is just really understanding. But God has prepared moments for you, moments for me, today, tomorrow, to reveal how good he is. Which leads us to this point. We are crafted. And God has crafted us in a way that causes us to understand we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for you and for me to do. And the question is, are we living knowing we are God's handiwork? And if we do know we're God's handiwork, are we living in light of it? Can I just pray for us and then we're going to end? So if you feel able, just close your eyes so don't get distracted by others. God, I thank you that you're not one who's out to put marks against us. 
I thank you, God, that you're not one who isn't moved by what's made up our lives. God, I thank you that your desire isn't to just have numbers. I thank you, God, that your desire is for us to share in the fact that we are your handiwork. Those are more loved than we could ever dare to believe. Those who are more restored than we could have ever imagined. And I pray, God, that you'd cause us to understand that more. I pray for some here who are yet to understand that. I pray would you cause us to understand more of who you are, God. I pray for those of us who do know this. I pray would we live in light of it more. I pray that we would live daily understanding we are your handiwork. And as such, you have an adventure in store for us every day. And I pray in anticipation of the stories we're going to share next week of all that you've done amongst us as we've just lived in the reality of who we are. Amen.